morning I have the privilege and the opportunity to introduce one of our pastoral interns that's um, been with Mount Zion for six, seven, eight months, nine months, six months, okay. I was giving him a few more than he's been. It seems like it's been longer. I don't know. I feel like I've known him for a while. But this morning we will have the honor of uh, hearing John Lee speak to us and preach the word of God to us. Um, we met John just through him walking through the doors one day and sitting back here and hanging out with Pastor Chris one day after church. And from that, discussions went to, um, we would like for you to be a part, and we would like for, to mentor you and, and hang out with you and get to know you. And since then, we've all become really good friends. John has great connections with our community uh, through sports and different activities. He is very sound in the Word of God, and I think it will be a blessing for everyone today to hear him speak. So, John, would you please come join us? So that's a long walk. Man. This is a small podium. So there, there's something I've always wanted to do. Um, Miss Sierra Glenn, could you please stand up? And, and could you take one step to the left? Not, not to the right? Could you sit down? See, before this is over, I've already moved one person. <laughs> and I picked on her specifically because she told me not to. Um, your laughter brings my nervousness sky high. <laughs> but this is how I cope. And I just want to say good morning. I'm so thankful to just be a part of this community. I'm so thankful just to be able to speak up here today. I never thought this day would uh, come. And if you knew my story, you, know, you would know why. Um, so before I continue, let us pray. Dear God, Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this opportunity just to uh, be here, Lord. I know people didn't have to be here. They could be anywhere today, God, but they chose to be here. Lord, I pray that you would bless them with your presence. Lord, um, if they've heard this message a million times, or this is their first time, I pray that it would fall afresh new. God, I pray that you would um, use me, God as a mouthpiece for you, as a herald of the truth, God, that it would not be my words, but yours. I thank you, and in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, as you can see, the series that we're running is on family ties, and how we, as a community, as a church, can come together and, and work together as a family to build the kingdom of God. And so I've been tasked to teach about community outreach. And it's a subject that's definitely heavy on my heart, because honestly, I wouldn't be here without it. Um, like what Pastor Russell said, I came here, honestly, as a hurt individual, as somebody who had been struggling with their past and the things that I've done and the sin that I carried. I didn't want to go to church. I had been out of church for maybe a year. And of course, my mama, the, the person that told me I needed to dress up, and plus, TJ set the standard, like, way up here. Yeah. So I was like, let me Google up 
just like a random church in the area, and let me go to one where I can just sit in the, in the pews and no one talk to me. I picked the wrong church, right? <laughs> I, I sat back there, and uh, Ms. Gail came up to me, Pastor Chris came up to me, and um, they would invest in my life. They would take me out of this place. Um, it wasn't community outreach in the way that you would think, like some program or, or some coordinated event. It was them taking the time out of their day, out of the service, just to say, hey, how are you doing? Tell us about yourself. Oh, you went to a Bible college? Let's have lunch. <laughs> and, and so I'm here. But before that, I wouldn't even be here without a, a level of intentionality and even more community outreach. You see, I don't, I don't think it's proper to talk to people and, and them not know you. So let me be vulnerable just for a little bit. I don't want to be too transparent. That's why I have this podium here. All right. Uh, I grew up in a refugee home. Both my parents are refugees. Uh, they fled from the Vietnam War. And I grew up in a church in a sense, but ultimately I ended up in a broken family where um, love wasn't really displayed in, in like that. And so the first chance I got to get away from church or distance myself from church culture, I did. And a youth pastor, um, someone that I looked up to, someone, you know, the reasons why I looked up to him, he just seemed like he had it all together. But what would what business did he have reaching out to uh, a hoodlum, uh, somebody who is like me, who had nothing going on for him? He had nothing to gain, but when he saw me, he had compassion. He saw a man from a, a, a young boy from a broken family who needed help. And he showed me, he modeled to me what it meant to have compassion for those who are hurting, helpless, and just needed something, and he, he showed that to me. He, he took me to his house, he showed me his family, how he conducted being a father, because I hadn't seen it. How to be a loving husband, I hadn't seen it. And ultimately, who Jesus was. So I want y'all to understand that this is something that's important to me, and I'm a product of it. I'm a, I'm a product of community outreach. I'm a product of intentionality, and I'm pretty sure you are too. So if you could, please turn to Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. Now, I just want you to go there. We're not reading it yet, right? Just prepare thyself, right? So why outreach the community? Um, being somebody who outreaches to the community, it's, it's like what TJ was talking about. When you finally sell out all you have for Christ, when you become that Christian, when it's no longer a transaction, but actually a life transformed, community outreach, evangelism, spreading the gospel, showing love, that becomes a part of that transformed life. And not only is it a part, community outreach is a product I mean, transformation, lives being changed, that is a product of community outreach, of being intentional, of just being the church. You should also do it because Jesus said so. 
You, everybody's pretty aware of uh, the Great Commission. I hope so. That's, that's why you're here. Jesus said to, to baptize everyone in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you know, teaching them everything that I have commanded to you. And surely I will be with you to the end of the age. Matthew 28, 19 to 20. And, and that's clearly a command. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's, it's not just a program, right? It's not just something that we coordinate to do. It starts in your city. It starts in your state, it starts in the country, but it also starts with you and your circumstances. And your Jerusalem, your Judea, your Samaria, your world, it's different for everybody, right? So let us read. Then Jesus went to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were weary and worn out, like sheep without a shepherd. When he said this to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Verse 35 and 36, you see Jesus as the example. He's preaching the good news, right? And what is the good news? Well, it's the gospel. It's, it's how we're being saved. It's, it's Jesus establishing his kingdom on earth and us being a part of that. When you think of good news, I, I don't want you to think of like turning on the TV and, oh, wow, um, everybody, you know, this is happening. This sounds good. This is positive. This is, you know, something that's not bad. If you turn on TV, if somebody's not being killed, robbed, or some dealing with sin and depravity, then I guess that's good news, Right? But when, I, when you think of good news, I want you to think of something that's totally life-changing. Who here has seen the movie Unbroken or read the book about Louis Zamperini, right? You, if you know the story, there's a scene in the movie near the end where they're being marched out into the water. You see, Louis Zamperini is a POW during World War II, and he gets captured by the Japanese. And while, while trapped in this this prison, tortured daily, beaten daily, and, and treated like nothing. Louis Zamperini is marched into the water along with all the other POWs. And in their mind, they believe that this is their death. This is the end. But then when they look up, they see American warplanes with flyers being dropped down, saying that the war is over. The atomic bombs have been dropped, and... So at that moment when they were about to die, good news falls from the sky. And, and you realize at that moment that this good news that Jesus is talking about is very similar. Knowing that though they had been imprisoned and sentenced to death, this news would change their lives forever. That nothing would ever be the same. And they realized that and they knew that. That was good news. This is the good news that Jesus is bringing. Repent and believe, for the kingdom of God is what? Is near. Now, now, why did Jesus not say, the kingdom of God is here? Jesus is in their midst. He, he says it in Luke chapter 17. When they ask him, where is this kingdom? Where is it that we can see it, observe it, 
And Jesus said, it's, it's not something that you can see. Actually, the kingdom of God is here. It's within you. It's in your midst. It's in your grasp. And when we repent and truly believe, we become partakers of that kingdom. A kingdom that you have been tasked to build. So when we talk about life group, which we're supposed to be, and I'm supposed to add that in into everything I say, right? <laughs> when we talk about life group, and we talk about living that communal life, that life together as God intended it, a lot of times we can think of faith as just me and my relationship with God and no one else, right? But that's only one aspect of being a Christian. You will never see the full potential of your Christian walk until you live it with others. Jesus was never alone. He's with the Father. They were always in community. And maybe you should be in community. And even when you're alone, you're never alone, right? You have the Holy Spirit. You have Christ there in your midst. So in those moments, you, I hope you realize that you were made to be in community. That's who you are. So maybe you should outreach to it. Just saying. Right? The gospel brings healing. Before Jesus um, gets to this point, you see early in their chapter that he goes around and he's teaching, he's preaching, but why are people coming to him? To be healed. That he changed their physical um, ailments, their spiritual ailments, and he brought about healing. And so everywhere he went, people were being healed. You see, I, I once, when I was growing up, I heard about the, the lukewarm Christian, right? And the church allowed to see in Revelations. And it was talking about if you are neither hot nor cold, then you're lukewarm. And what will happen? I will spit you out. And so just some context, when he's speaking about that, what was hot water back in the day? Right? Hot water was therapeutic. It was healing. Right? And to some of the athletes here, it still is. You know, and, and cold water, can you imagine? It's refreshing, right? So if you are neither healing or refreshing, Laodicea, you've forgotten your first love. The church, you've forgotten your first love. You're supposed to be healing and refreshing. But instead, you're all to yourself. Don't forget your first love. Don't forget that you do your, everything you do, you do for a reason. And even as we go to life group, it's not just a time of... Um, Okay, well, I have to do this because this has been done for years and years. The tradition continues. My daddy and my, my daddy's daddy was here. Mine wasn't, all right? So when you come here, I hope you know there's a reason for it. There's a reason for you being here today. I, I'm very assured of that, that you could be anywhere. Um, also, good news is peace with God. Now, I don't know how you view peace, but I've been teaching this class, uh, transitions class, and what I've defined peace as is not just a state of being. Yes, it, in a sense it is. Being at peace with things. But did you know that you were enemies of God? And that we were children of wrath? And that before that, God didn't see us as just his children, but enemies? And that Jesus came, and when he came, he brought peace and reconciliation to the Father. So it's not, it's not like, oh, man, now I suddenly feel good about everything. 
and everything can pass. But no, you are no longer enemies of God as you were before. Honestly, to me, when I look at that, that lack of peace, that anonymity with God, that's the number one thing that we need to be healed of. For those of us who don't know him, we are in need of healing. And that's what the gospel brings. In verse 36, he says, When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them, because they were weary and worn out, like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus had compassion for them. And when you think of compassion, I, I hope you just don't think of, oh, I care for this person. Compassion is thinking about another, another person. But when you think of compassion, I want you to think of the Greek context. It's a long word that I can't pronounce, but it looks real cool, and I try to say it. But, it, man, it, it, the inward moving, right? So when they say, man, I love you with all my heart, that's an expression that you might understand. But for them, it would have been the equivalent of saying, I, I, I love you with all of my gut, my entrails, my liver, my everything on the inside. He was moved by that. So from the inside to his core, he was moved to compassion by what he had seen. He had seen people hurting, right? He said they were weary and worn out, right? Weary, to be troubled, distressed, harassed. I'm sure you see this everywhere you go. I mean, when we talk about good news, we can always talk about bad news when you turn the TV on, right? They were weary. They were worn out, thrown down in a constant state of helplessness. See, that's why they were following him. He had something to offer that the Pharisees and the other religious men didn't offer. He offered peace. He offered good news. He offered healing. And so, of course, they're going to come. And when they came, they, they, they saw that there was something much more to Jesus. Right? And that's why they followed him. Constant state of helplessness. Now, what does that even look like? I would probably paint a picture of somebody living through life aimlessly, having no direction, living for yourself, living without purpose. Um, and so we make idols. We make goals and, and, and honestly, anything that will take up our time to do what? T to fill us. To find purpose so that we wouldn't just live aimlessly. Right? But I'm telling you as church, as people who know God, I'm advertising, right? Jesus is the answer to everything. If it looks like a squirrel and sounds like one, the answer is still Jesus in Sunday school, <laughs> right? No matter what, that's the case. And in this case, he is the answer. For those of us who are weary and worn out, Jesus is the answer. They were like sheep without a shepherd. The leaders of that time, they set the standard. They set it very high. See, the Pharisees, they, they believed in following the law to the T. And not only did they just follow the law, they made laws on top of law so you wouldn't break that one law, right? So if the law was like, you can't work on the Sabbath, well, let's define work. If you take more than 144 steps, you're working on a Sunday. 
right? So they would find ways around it. All right, well, let me, if I walk backwards, that's not walking forward, so therefore my steps don't count. If they had a Fitbit, it would be work. It'd still be work. But they found ways around it. And they set the standard. And they were considered the holy people of that time. Now, a lot of times growing up, when you open up the, the book, the Pharisees seemed like villains the whole time. But they were actually the heroes of the time. These were the people who set the standard of holiness. But they were leading the people astray. It's just for show. It's just all work. Jesus comes in and says, they're, they're tired from that work. Come, let me heal you. He had compassion for them. See, sometimes, honestly, uh, compassion sucks. <laughs> it is so convenient to not have compassion. If you go throughout your life and not have it, I'm pretty sure you would just, nothing would bother you. But we can see that Jesus was bothered when he saw the plight of hurting people. You, you know how they say, oh, I want to be more like Jesus, but he, he, you better start caring for the hurting then. You care deeply. And you change as a person. And you start caring for the people that he loved. The problem is, as you care for people, that mess gets all over you. That the dirt and all the stuff that they have to tell you, they have to tell somebody, right? So they tell you and they pour it on, and that burden is heavy. If you've been in ministry or you've been a teacher or any aspect of your life where someone has depended on you and you've had compassion on them, that weight is very heavy. So it's hard having all that mess on you. I remember one time before this, right, I, uh, I worked at a Vietnamese church. Oh, in case y'all didn't know, I'm, I'm Vietnamese. I'm, I'm Asian, right? I'm the only uh, Asian member at this church, and I'm proud of it, right? I hope that you're proud of who you are and how God made you, because I definitely am. I am unashamed, right? <laughs> but that wasn't always the case, okay? I'll get to that. Uh, as, a, as a child, I, uh, I grew up speaking Vietnamese. This is my second language. Um, so if I mess up or say anything crazy, we can just blame it on that, right? <laughs> and so I was very insecure about myself. There's not a lot of Asian representation in media and, and all these things. And so I, I just, you know, I grew up in Clayton County, so I just was a product of my environment. Um, I saw this video. I just wanted to do hood rat things with my hood rat friends. And, and so that was, that was the life that I I decided to be a part of, and um, God has just been really good to take me out of that and put me here. And it started with somebody being hurt for what they, what they saw. Um, but with that is a lot of baggage. And somebody was willing to do that. And I, I don't know where they got the strength from until I became a Christian. And I was called to do that same work. I was at church, and the, these, this couple had just came to our church. And I, I knew they weren't going to stay very long, but they asked for help to move to Decatur. And I was like, okay, yeah, yeah, sure, we'll do that. And when we got there, it was a lot more than they had mentioned. And uh, 
Uh, for those of y'all who have helped move before, y'all know, y'all know the struggle. Pastor Russell's like, uh-huh, you were supposed to be there for me. <laughs> and when we got there, it was a lot more. And once that sweat starts dripping, you're like, man, why am I here? <laughs> They're not even going to come back. What, what am I doing here? And then the voice in the back of your head is like, if this was family, you'd be doing it. If this was your friend, you'd be here for the least of these, right? For the least of these. What you have done for them, you have done for me. And so, man, that's why you do it. You work as if you're working for the Lord. That's why you do it. That's why we have compassion. I'm so grateful that there were hurting people and somebody answered the call. You see, um, I told you about community outreach in my own life, of how I came to Christ and how I became a part of this community. Let me tell you a little about my parents, because, you know, we still on that vulnerability stuff, right? My parents um, were refugees. They, they were a product of a war. Uh, my grandpa, my dad, they fought in the Vietnam War for the South Vietnamese, fighting against the communists. When the war ended, um, America took out their involvement after losing more than 58,000 people as, as casualties of war. It was devastating, but the Vietnamese lost much more. Um, more than two million people lost their lives. And um, in the fall of Saigon, my family were put into re-education camps or prison, prisoners of war. My father and all my uh, the men in my family had to go and, and serve their time learning about how wrong they were to help America and how communism is the new world order and you need to cooperate because everything you know about freedom is wrong. So my dad did what was natural. He was like, once his sentence was up in that prison, he took my mama and my older sister, hopped up on a little fishing boat and floated in the water along with... Um, a good amount of people from 1973 or 1975 to the, the late 80s, people were hopping up on boats and, and trying to come to America one way or another. 25% of those people didn't make it. And just to put, you, put it in perspective, my family was very lucky to have made it. When they made it to Guam, finally, some small church in Georgia was like, we feel for these people. We're hurting for these people. We should do something for these people. And so as a group, not as one person picking up the phone and saying, hey, hey John's dad, uh, let me give you a home all the way in America. I don't know you or anything, but you know, I don't even know how you have a phone or anything, but <laughs> a church, a church was like, I see the, the hurt. I see the pain. We can do something about that. This is what Jesus would have wanted us to do. And so they sponsored my family to be here. And I ended up being Baptist. <laughs> that way, you know, that's, it's just how it is. And my family became a part of the church, the universal church. And so when I think of people having compassion, I think of the compassion that has been shown to me. And that people were moved 
from the very inwards of their body to help some people that they had no idea what they would bring, how they would bring it. They just knew that we were hurting. In verse 37, he said, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. And Jesus is speaking to his disciples. I mean, he is. There is a need for shepherds who will reach out into the community. There is a need for people to step up and be leaders. Now, I grew up in church, so I know that there's this, there's this thought that everyone here is called into the priesthood, the universal, uh, the universal call of believers to be priests. In your towns, your cities, your classrooms, your workplace, it is your call to be a leader in that aspect. In your families, to your friends. You see, the field is abundant. There's lots to harvest. And honestly, there was some shepherd in your life who was like, that person is hurting. That field is abundant. It is ready for harvest. Let's go to work. And they worked because Christ had called them to that life. And he's calling that life for you too. He's calling you to be a part of your community in whichever uh, context or circumstance that you see fit. Compassion takes work. I wonder what the field looks like for you. What is it? What is the field? Um, for me, I, I guess the field is every time I go to open gym and I see all these people who have been to church or have grown up in church or have never seen church, but they are hurting. And they just want to play basketball. They just want to play volleyball. And we open those doors for them, and they come in, they rush in. But my hope is that when they leave, it wouldn't be just for that. And I hope that when you come to church, it wouldn't just be to check, I'm good. I'm good for the week. Church points, holy points, whatever it is, right? But that out of a sincere love for Christ, that we would be investing in something, investing in building the kingdom. There's a lot to harvest in the world that we live in today. I mean, just, just seeing the statistics. I don't know. I'm a part of them, though. I'm one of those kids that grew up without a father who, who you know, was very resentful in my life, and I, I acted out in ways that I shouldn't have. And if it wasn't for somebody who saw the need, I wouldn't be here today. And so Jesus responds. By seeing this field, he says, Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. You see, it's not just the pastors. I don't, I don't want y'all to get it caught up with. Or the worship leaders. Or the missionaries. It's not those people that are, are specifically called to the harvest. Yes, they are. Right? It's everyone. Send out workers. Pray for workers. You give your time. You give your talent. You give your money. You give whatever you can, right? I hope you do. But as you pray, I hope you know that prayer is one of the main things you can do, too. If you don't have those things, okay, 
Lord, I've been born with no talent. What can I do? And I'm poor as dirt. <laughs> and I'm always busy. I don't know how I don't have money. But God gave you the ability to pray. And I hope you're praying because out of your compassion, maybe you don't have the means to, to go and, and preach and do all these things. And, and that's fine. Be Jesus in your own context to those people. They may never walk into the church. Maybe you should bring the church to them. I think of it, and I'm just like, well, my mother, when I first started going into ministry, no Asian parent wants their son to go into ministry. You're not going to be an engineer. You're not going to be a doctor. You know, you're not going to make no money. So, uh, so why are you doing this? And so in doing this, I also brought a whole bunch of random people to my house, and she's like, I don't like this. I don't like this. This, this is my house. And, you know, but over time, as I, I, I started to show that a sincere care for these people, so did she. And she came to me and she said, you know, I support you in your ministry. I support you in what you're doing. Because honestly, I, I don't have much. I don't have anything. But I have my house. And I want to support these people in this way. I see that they're hurting. So what you have, you can't help. As we pray, we are taking part in the kingdom of God as well. Today, I'm reminded by this story. It's one of the most impactful stories of my life. Um, back when I went to Bible college, there was a, a missionary from Indonesia, and he came and he told me the story from this book called The Call. It's about the uh, Thompson family. And it, it really shook me to the core to see how God worked, how workers were sent, and compassion was had, and people loved. And I saw all these things, and I'm just like, man, i got to tell these people this story. It meant so much for me. Two missionaries, they go into Cambodia. And as they go into Cambodia, they go into a small little village called Kalbak Chua, in Cambodia. It's a little tribal village. And they come down, they put their little felt board up and little posters and everything. I've told this story before. And when they set it up, they start talking about Jesus and more and more people come and they hear about this creator God who comes as a man and who saves and heals. And people are like, oh man, this is exciting. This is cool. This is neat stuff. This is new. But then he says, and then Jesus dies, and then he resurrects three days later, and they're like, wait a minute, we're Buddhists. And everyone knows that life is reincarnated. And once you die, you don't resurrect again, and they lost him. And they started walking away in droves, except for one. His name was Lap. And Lap sits there and listens to the whole story, and he's like, well, I, I want to give my life to the Lord. And so he spends that whole day talking to the missionaries. The next day, he sees them loading up their little moped with all their cool stuff, and he runs to them. He says, where, where are you going? He's like, we have other villages to preach to. We have other villages to teach to. And Lava says, then what am I supposed to do? I don't even have a Bible. <laughs> and they say, pray that Jesus would send workers for this field. Pray that someone would come and teach you that. But in the meantime, pray that God would show you how to live. And they left. As Lap is in this village, he becomes the only Christian. 
And at first, he was at the subject of ridicule. People blamed him for a lot of things. When the harvest came and he didn't make his annual sacrifices, people were like, yo, lad, what's up? What's going on, bro? You, you need to be doing this or else we're not going to have a good harvest. And he's like, my, this is not what my God wants me to do. And suddenly they started to respect him. After they were, setting, they were putting curses on him and all these things, and nothing was happening to Lot. He remained strong. You see, over in the States, there was, there was a boy named Carl Edwards Thompson. And his father was a coal miner who had got sent to prison for, being, for uh, drinking and driving and killing a young boy. And while in prison, he committed suicide. So Carl is without a father. And times uh, a, a little bit later, his mother ended up remarrying. And very soon in that, in that whole exchange, they found out that maybe that wasn't the right thing to do. Because Carl's stepdad is extremely abusive, beating up on everybody. On occasion, they, they said that they would have to pour hot water on his bed to break up the blood that was soaked onto there. That was the circumstance that Carl was going through. Every day was hell for him. One day, he sees his mom come back, a changed woman. She had been shopping, and she heard singing out of a church, and she walks in, and she's saved, and her life is new, and she comes back, and she wants to tell everybody about it, except for, you know, her husband. And she tells Carl, and the next week, Carl goes to church, and he gets saved, and he sees the community, and he sees the love, and he's like, man, I want to be a part of this. And it happens. He becomes a part of this. And he confronts his, his stepdad, and his, his stepdad pulls a gun out on him and says, get out and don't ever come back. And so Carl leaves, and of course he goes to the place that was home to him, that provided community for him, who outreached to him. Where do you go? He went back to that church. That church ended up raising him, gave him a home in the attic, and he lived there. And later on he went to Nyack College in New York and became a missionary. He got married, and he felt like there was a need to go to Southeast Asia. These 18 years have passed, and he goes with his wife and his two little white children into this, this Cambodian village, and they were a commodity at this time. They were like, well, I had never seen this, except for that one time. But they go into this village, and it's this village called Kabukchua, and they walk in, and they set up their felt board and everything. And they, they start preaching. They start talking about Jesus. And in the midst of all that, you hear this voice, you've come, you've come for me. And who is it? It's Lap. Lap is right there. Lap is awaiting the word that he's been praying for for 18 years. You know? And those prayers were answered through Carl. And Carl pours into Lap, and Lap becomes the first senior pastor of that, of that area. And, and lives were changed and everything. You see what prayer can do. You see what prayer did in Lap's life because of somebody who saw the need to reach out. Prayer does much. You see, prayer opens you up to... Um, what is the will of God? What does he want from me? What does he want to do? Of course, you, I can talk all day about prayer, but at the end of the day, 
I want y'all to start praying for something. Two things. The first one is obvious, right? Pray for workers. Pray for workers to come to the harvest, right? And the second thing is that you would pray that to know where God is working and that you would be a part of that. How can I be a part of where God is working, where you are working, Lord? How can I be a part of that? So pray. Pray for the workers. You see, the story of Carl sort of goes a little further than that. After that time period, they would end up in Hue City in Vietnam, where the massacre happened during the Tet Offensive in 1968. And Carl and his wife, Ruth, were murdered by the Viet Cong. And so they die. And then years later, the Khmer Rouge comes in and Lap dies. He's killed by the Khmer Rouge. So what's the significance of this? Well, if it wasn't for people like Carl and Ruth who came to Cambodia, who came to Vietnam and gave their lives out of compassion, my family would have never known the gospel either. They were the forerunners of the missionaries who came and poured into my people. Just a little community outreach. You know, that's all it is, right? So what does community outreach look like to us? As a church, open gym. You see the people come? They're coming to you. They could be anywhere. On a Sunday with nothing to do, let's play basketball at a church and, and get fed. Not only physically, but spiritually as well. We bring the word. We'd love for you to be a part of that. Bible study on Wednesdays, life group, shout out to uh, Women on Mission, you know. They're doing their part. And we want to invite you to do something for God, to be a part of the kingdom. Now, where it gets a little deeper is family and you, your circumstance. What does your family look like? How do I be, how can I become a a servant, a worker in my family? How do I outreach to the community around me at home? and with you on an individual basis. So it goes deeper than that. So I left those spaces uh, empty if you have an outline. It's for you to figure out. You are being invited to partake in something bigger than yourself, to be a kingdom builder, that when God created humanity, he said, I will create them in my image. That they are to subdue the earth, that they are to build my kingdom. That was the intent. That was the order. That was the call. And it hasn't changed. It just sounds different, right? Go forth and make disciples. Go forth from where? From Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. See, it started small, right? In my own life, it was just some dude speaking truth in my life. It got bigger, my family, because some church was just like, we, we want to love on people. It got even bigger. It happened for an entire group of people because Lat prayed. 
somebody's compassion brought you here. I don't know how far you have to trace that down. It could have been your parents. It could have been a friend, an invite or whatever. But even if that wasn't you and you just decided to come, it was out of the compassion of God that we're all here. I want to end on that note. Before that, would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And just reflect upon the field in your life, the place of harvest where the workers are few. What I didn't tell you is that after Jesus says this to his disciples, immediately in chapter 10, he summons all 12 and he sends them out to every town and every place they had been to, to heal and to cast out demons and to do the work of the kingdom He calls on them to do that. So it's crazy what happens when you pray that maybe God would use you as the answer. Dear God, Lord, thank you for this time. Lord, I pray that whoever needed to hear this, Lord, that they would respond. God, I pray for workers in the harvest in Jonesboro, in the community, and at Mount Zion Baptist Church, Lord. God, I thank you for this time. And I just pray that many would come to know you through the actions of a community that cares, a community that has compassion for the people. Lord, we thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.